Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. My insides had been like scraped out with an ice cream scooper. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I'm here from 1842 (laughs) to say I'm in high dudgeon. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. It's like visiting Shawshank. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Please hold my crying baby. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about mom rage. We're raging in the face of motherhood today. We're not laughing. I mean, hopefully we'll be laughing some, but we're also raging in the face of motherhood. I was kind of surprised that we haven't actually talked about this already. I had to go check, but we haven't. I mean, we have and we haven't, right? We haven't episode level focused, but it's a thread that's run through it. It's a good one. And it's something that I see come up a lot on the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash group slash what fresh hellcast. And I feel like there's a lot of posting that is... I have made a terrible mistake in my parenting by getting very, very angry with my children and that people feel a ton of shame and guilt around that. Yes. And I think we need to talk about it. And I'm glad we're talking about it today. I have um, had some pretty low moments with mom rage myself. Right. We can relate. I actually have a post from our Facebook group. I'm not going to say the person's name, but I'm going to read this post because it made me think that this was a really good topic. This listener said, how do you personally deal with the guilt when you snap and have a bad moment as a mom? I lost it and screamed at my two-year-old, then told my husband to take her into the other room so I could calm down good for you. She had been having a tantrum and got rough with our seven-month-old, and I was afraid the baby was going to get hurt. She sets the stage. I'm a stay-at-home mom. It had been another action-packed day of constantly protecting the baby from her rowdy, clumsy, bigger sibling. Another day of not being able to get anything done. I love my two-year-old, but she's so high energy. She's even higher intensity than usual. I just went into red brain because I'm so weary and frustrated. I apologize to my two-year-old, but now I feel awful. Seen, heard, samesies. Right, right. And what's so really wonderful about our Facebook group is that immediately 40 women responded, been there, done that. You're not a bad person. You know, you got through this. Tomorrow's another day. And I think that that's a great place to start. But it's also worth unpacking this and understanding why it happens, I think. For sure. And I will share two examples from my own life. I will say for me, this has gotten a lot better now that I can kind of talk to my kids. Do you feel like your mom rage has settled down a little bit? 
Oh, for sure. And there's reasons for that. I got reasons. Oh, yes. Good. This gets easier as the kids get older for a reason that I can explain when we get to it. Yeah. So I had three kids in four years, 18 months apart. And I was 30, I was 41 by the time my last one was born. I was tired and old and had three small children <laughs> and it was not great. And just getting started. And I don't consider myself a super rageful person. Like, I don't consider myself a person who has a problem with their temper. That's what I would say. Right. Maybe that's not entirely true, because now that I say that out loud, I'm like, mm, I've had some fights in public with strangers. Maybe it's like red brain, right? Like, it's not often, but when it happens, it's very out of control. And it was something I never anticipated about parenting. Like, I thought it would be like, oh, it's frustrating. It's tiring. But that thing of like, I had somebody in my house once when I had the three little kids, I was snuggling with one of the babies and they said to me like, oh, can you imagine ever like hurting a child? Like the idea of like, oh my God, some people hurt their children. And I was like, yes, I can. I can imagine it. Like I have been at that point several times since having children. And I have had, I would say two incidents, one, which was I had a probably a two-year-old, and they were misbehaving in front of someone who I was really embarrassed they were misbehaving. And I tugged them by the wrist, like, get over here. And I dislocated their elbow, which is called nursemaid's elbow, because the idea is like people pulling on kids. You can do it by like that thing where you swing them by the hands off the ground, but I did it by tugging my child. And I had to go to the ER. And then later, I believe I've mentioned on the podcast, figured out how to fix it by a YouTube video. So because my first ER bill was like $600. And then it once it happens, it keeps happening. Retweets are not endorsements. We're not saying don't go to the ER with nursemaid's elbow. But no, I wouldn't say I mean, but this it turns out you can do it yourself. But I did dislocate his elbow, tugging him. And another time I was trying to separate my two kids, very agitated. Similarly, like one was hurting the other. And I grabbed one of the kids by the arm. And later in the bath, I was looking at him and he had like my claw marks on him. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had grabbed him so hard that I had left not quite bruises, but like red marks clearly of my finger claws on his arm. Minna Dubin is writing a book about mom rage right now. Mm -hmm. And she's written some great articles. I'm going to link to them in the show notes. She calls this the not hitting gray area. Yes. And there's something so deeply shameful about like, I hurt my child who I was put on this earth to protect. And it's definitely something that I can talk about now, whatever it is, 11 years later, and like, oh, yeah, I just look at my kid's elbow tugging him, you know, because I was so mad. At the time, I felt in fact, I think I probably lied about what happened. You know, I think I was like, I'm bringing a kid to the ER with a dislocated arm that I caused by my physical reaction to him. I think I was probably like, I don't know what happened. We were so, I just pulled him over really gently, you know, and I'm sure they were like, sure, lady, we know what's really up. But, but it happened. It's a scary feeling to be like, I hurt my kid. Anne Lamott, who is, she usually writes about, she's a novelist, she writes about writing. She wrote one essay about mom rage that was, you know, constantly quoted all over the place. But she says that mom rage is a closely guarded secret, Ugh. as if the myth of maternal bliss is so sacrosanct that we can't even admit those feelings to ourselves. And it makes, I mean, yes, I've been there, right? When you dislocate your kid's arm, or I can think of a time that I made my kids just scream and, and 
fear and I didn't even realize what they were seeing until I saw their reaction. Then I was just, I was undone by it. Yeah. But yes, even admitting to yourself that, that you got that angry is terrifying. And then there's so much shame because you think, yes, you were the only person who has ever done anything so horrible. Right. Everyone else is living on Instagram with the sun setting in the background as they put daisies in their child's hair. Right. Right. That the shame is on top of this, but it, it's pretty universal. And I think it's good to acknowledge that sometimes this is screaming because I think of it as like, oh, I lost control when I hit my kid or I was physical with a child. But yes, there have also been times where I have just gone to that place of like, yeah, like screaming in an out of control. It's an out of control moment. I think that's the key to it. Right. And so that can be screaming or it can be physical that I mean, listen, we have established on this podcast, right? We're anti-spanking and we're anti really hitting your child in any context. Yes. And we're anti like rage screaming at your kids. Anti-scarring our kids. That's right. Right. But also we're having a very frank conversation today about the times that like we have failed to meet that mark ourselves. So I'm not saying like everybody hits their kids sometimes and that's okay. Like we're going to try to be like... We don't want to hit our kids, so what's the solution? Right, right. But I think the first step is admitting that it is something that we have a problem. Maybe not all the time, but I don't know that there is a mother who's never felt this. Can I give you the two definitions of mom rage that I have found that with women who talk about this openly that I thought were useful? So there's a woman named Shreya Bakshi. She has an Instagram account called Raising Sean, and it offers PPD support. And she says that mom rage is a real condition, but we often mistake it for just anger. And she says that mom rage is a result of extreme burnout and lack of self-care. It's a unique condition that happens in these unique conditions. I also want to underline there that the phrase self-care, and we have talked about this, it's not like you didn't get enough massages and therefore this is your fault, you know? And so right. I hear what she's saying well, she does a lot of work around that, that self-care, like it's nonsense that, you know, she doesn't mean, you know, a nice bath. She means self-care as in mental health, as in proper sleep and nutrition. She's talking about that. Self-care has become one of those buzzwords where it feels like, oh, get a massage and then you'll stop, you know, raging at your children. Not true. Right. And I also think for me, at least my experience was very based in, not in anger, but in anxiety. That was like the driver of a lot of my problems. Mm -hmm. And so I think anger and anxiety are kind of, they're both results, right? The behavior is the result of this lack of sleep, total overwhelm, 24 hours a day of kids under your care who you have no control over really in some fundamental way that you misunderstood before having children. That's right. So there is a psychologist named Dolph Zillman, mm. who, not a mom, I think, I'm assuming Dolph is a man, who studies rage and studies anger. And it's a fun place to go to work every day. My rage studies. He, he's a rage expert. And he talks about like how rage builds on itself. And this is useful because it helps us understand going back to our listener who was like, it had been a day, it had been a day and a day. And then I scream at my two year old over nothing. Okay, like there's a reason for that. And here's why. Okay, so anger, Rolf Dillman. No, sorry, Dolph Zillman. <laughs> <says, laughs> Not Rolf Dillman. 
Dolph Zillman. So sorry, Rolf Zillman. You have other research. Dolph Zillman says that the anger, we get angry when we have a perceived threat to one's self-esteem or dignity, he's saying. He's not just talking about mom rage. He's talking about like rage, rage. Okay. Correct. A threat to my self-esteem. You're talking to me, right? I was on the phone with Amy yesterday and she had a uh, you talking to me moment and the, you were walking through traffic and you got into it with oh, a, exactly someone almost hit her with your car. And yeah, somebody was trying to make a point by yeah, slowly rolling his car into me while I crossed with the light at an intersection. Let me tell you, my old man at Amy, I heard the New Yorker come right out. She was giving this guy the what for on the phone. And you know what really helped me in that moment? It's really just like to unpack this for a second. The woman next to me who I didn't know, you know, a stranger in the crosswalk was like, he almost hit you. Like her outrage. Right. She had your back. Yes. She had my back. So then I knew like I am righteous and I am going to yell through this guy's driver window. No problem. Yeah, I went there. But then you have that. Okay. So you have this rage. You have this trigger, right? That releases hormones. Yes. And also I think key to that, because I'm hearing what you're saying, you're in total isolation, right? Right. Oh, and a mom rage. Yes. At home as a mom, you never have that person being like, that kid really is being a jerk. You're just alone in the bubble with them. You're so right. Right. That moment of like, he was a jerk and I saw it completely. Right. Never happens. Never happens. Right. And it diffused it in a very, I mean, she wasn't trying to diffuse it. She was giving me a like, you go, but it helped me. Right. But you have a moment that's a, a trigger that doesn't have any kind of release. Right. And you releases these hormones. I'm going back to Dolph Zillman. Yes, Dolph. Sorry. Get back to you, Dolph. Dr. Zillman. <laughs> and then you're turned up for what? He says you have an excited state of readiness that can last for hours after a threat is detected. This is probably... A biological imperative. Sure. You have a threat and your threat awareness goes like to 80. And that's why a little thing and a little thing and a little thing, which he calls a sequence of provocations. That's why you go ham when your kid, you know, drops his juice that night. Right. Because there's a rage. It's cumulative. And so a hundred little things can turn into, then it explodes and you do have a completely disproportionate reaction to something and you want to strangle yourself. You're so upset, but it's human and it's biological. That's right. And the story, oh my God, it's when you said spilling the juice, probably an episode of family. I mean, I'm coming in with a lot of oldie lux alerts, so brace yourself. <laughs> it was like family ties or like an after school special or something, but it was like the kid, oh, I think it might have been Full House. The kid was getting beaten up by his mom. You know, he was basically an abused child. And the triggering incident was him spilling his juice. And it was like, oh, the mom is just a completely outrageous monster. Because over a simple thing like spilling the juice, she's hitting her kid, right? I'm now going to argue on behalf of the abusive mom from Family Ties or perhaps Full House. But you're not actually seeing the full story. Like, she's not just an evil person who loves hitting kids. She's a person having tremendous anger activation that she does not know how to channel. And so, like, hey, team abusive mom from full house for a moment. Like, I mean, it, we were told the story as like, you know, this kid and it's just completely like the mom's favorite pastime. But that's not the story of how this actually works. Minna Dubin says that we always, when we tell these stories, say, well, you know, I love my child to the moon and back. I would never, I would never. I, and then I love my child. We have to say, but, and she says, we do that as if mother rage equals a lack of love. Ooh, that's deep. Right. She hit me in the feels with that one. That's deep. Both of these can be, and we're not 
enabling mom rage where we're not saying like, so don't feel bad next time you do this. <laughs> we're we're going to try to talk about. No, we're not like, hey, full house mom, you're doing great. No, you're not. But let's try to work it out. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So let's talk about all the reasons that mom rage happens because... There's a lot of them. I've got a few. Yes. But I think one of the most obvious and yet I think underappreciated is lack of sleep. And you were talking about before how, you know, I think this is easier for me than it used to be. Like, yes, it, it probably is. It's definitely easier for me. And it is not in small part due to we are sleeping better than we used to when our kids were little. Oh, it's huge. I mean, I truly had four years where I did never slept properly. And then every once in a while, I would sleep 10 hours and I would wake up like, why don't I feel better? It's because sleep is not a bank. You can't repay the sleep debit yes. by sleeping more one day. You know, it doesn't work that way. And I definitely remember at some point... Maybe when my youngest was, you know, six months old, starting to really sleep consistently again. And it was like 
Dorothy entering Oz. Like I had been in black and white for three or four years and I was like seeing colors for the first time. I mean, that's right. You don't know how bad it was until you're out. You don't know how bad you feel when you're in it. So there was a sleep and mood study from mothers and babies that the University of Victoria did a couple years ago. So they studied about 300 Canadian mothers. The average age of the mom was 32 and the average age of the baby was about eight months old. These mothers were averaging six hours of sleep a night, which doesn't sound terrible, right? But it's a large study. That would have been a great night. For me, that's terrible. If I dip under on six hours of sleep, I am non-functional. I mean, there were nights I was getting 90 minutes of sleep, but right. So six hours, even on six hours of sleep a night, 70% of the women in the study said their baby was getting up two and three times a night. The average baby waking was 2.4 times a night. So they're getting six hours of sleep, but the baby's up a couple of times. Yeah, that's not real sleep. You're not deep sleeping for six hours. No. And 31% of the mothers in this study, so one in three, said they had intense anger. Tracks. They were feeling intense anger. And so the conclusion was that postpartum anger is so common because it's linked with poor maternal sleep. And one of the things that the mothers reported being angry about, which I can remember this, is fury that their kid is not sleeping. Like that they're being awoken repeatedly by this baby who won't sleep is one of the things they're feeling most rageful about because they're unable to control it. It's just fascinating to me how much we cling to the story of like, these days are blissful, you know? (laughs) And I've said it before, but I was just in LA again with Amy. But before you got there, I just, I drive past the house we lived in when my kids were little. And I always, it's incredible to me how the feeling I get is terror, anger, and like doom when I stand in front of that house. It's not like this is where my babies were born. And I remember rocking them in that corner in the chair. It's like visiting Shawshank. I'm like, there's my prison cell where I spent four really hard years. And listen, I'm overstating it a little bit because that was not my only experience of it. But I do feel like that oh my God, these blissful days. That was not my experience of it. It was so hard and so unrewarding and so tiring. And physically, I was breastfeeding and I was getting headbutted by the two-year-old when I put on his... I mean, it's such a hard job. And it was not a good time in my life. And then being postpartum, there's the social isolation that comes from that in the best of times. I mean, you and I were went through this stage in a non-pandemic reality, right? Where it was just the actual isolation. Uh, We, my baby who wouldn't sleep and I were totally isolated because I really did have to try to sleep when the baby slept because it might only be 20 minutes, but that's as long as he ever slept. So you know what I mean? We just, we lived in this like dream state of like, let me quickly doze off and then change his diaper. And then it was so isolating. And the pandemic made that, turned it up to 11, right? I mean, it made it a new normal for everybody. Yeah, And it's isolating. People think isolation is being alone, which it is. But isolation is also that I would be sitting, you know, we would have all the family in for dinner or a baptism or whatever it was. And I would sit at the table with like that tired sound playing in my head and feeling like I had been like my insides had been like scraped out with an ice cream scooper. And then everyone else was like, oh, my God, did you hear about cousin Stacy? Oh, yeah, she's getting married. They would be having like a completely nice and normal meal. 
And I would just feel like I am a Martian who has been sat at a table with like joyful people. I was involved in a really bad accident once with my then boyfriend, now husband. And it was a similar feeling of like the EMTs who were loading him up and like a very, after a very, very bad accident, were like, oh, did you see the game last night? Like, oh yeah, that was a while. They were talking to each other. They were having a Tuesday. And I was sitting on the side of the road like, how is anyone thinking about a baseball game right now? Yeah, at a moment like this. That's right. When my guy is like bleeding, possibly to death, like on the road. And that is a parallel to how I would feel at those dinners sometimes. Like, who cares about Cousin Stacy? I'm dying over here, you know? And so the isolation, you may be surrounded by a lot of people all the time and still feeling this isolation. Yes. Because you're the only person having your experience. That's right. And you're the only one who can feed the baby and everybody's going to give the baby back to you. And because you're not getting enough sleep. And because there are, you know, hormonal imbalances that happen. And I, I don't like to overfocus on those because I get angry when people are like, well, you know, she's just postpartum. No, she's just overwhelmed. And can you give her some help instead of saying she's got the baby blues? Like, I feel like it excuses other people from stepping up, right? Like, oh, she's just crying because she has the baby blues. No, she's just crying because she's getting an average of three hours of sleep a night. Can you step up? But medically, chemically, there are imbalances that cause the postpartum experience, it gets overwhelming for everyone. And then it just goes to another level if you have postpartum anxiety or depression. Both can be true. That's what I want to say. Both can be true. Yeah. And then I think this is maybe my own axe to grind is when you do ask for help. <laughs> I love it when you have an axe to grind. For a change. For a change. I thought I'd be, you know, <laughs> in a, what do I want to say? In, in, in my druthers about something? What do you call that? In color? High dudgeon. I have a high, I'm, in, I'm in high dudgeon about something, I think is what I... That was not what I would have ever guessed, so I'm glad you offered it. It would have taken me a long time to get to high dudgeon. I'm here from 1842 <laughs> to say I'm in high dudgeon. Amy's in a high dudgeon. When you ask for help, right? When you say I'm overwhelmed, then you do get like patted on the head instead of you ask for help and you don't get it. And you're told that you're thinking you need help is a misperception of your own addled, you know, mommy brain. And I will say, is this correct? I'm going to say it anyway, because I think it's true. It can be hard to actually get help. Like, it's a little bit you know, Amy and I run a business now and sometimes I have the feeling of like, oh, I guess I'll just do it myself because in the time it would take me to explain to someone else, or blah, blah, I think early motherhood has a lot of that. And it's true. Like they can't breastfeed for you. The baby does want you like I think it can be difficult. I think similarly to the isolation of no one understands your experience, it's like the kind of help you would need is like someone helicoptering you to a tropical island. I don't know. It feels so distant sometimes. Like Cloning you. What would really help? Like someone holding the baby for half an hour is not helpful. Well, it could be. But in my case, it was always, well, he's crying. You must want his mother. Like, no, he cries all the time. I mean, I can hold him and he'll, he'll still cry. Like as soon as there's a moment of discomfort, like, oh, take him back. Right. And I think what we really need is the help of please don't hold my sleeping baby. Please hold my crying baby. Please walk my screaming baby around the neighborhood. Yeah, I guess that's true. And I shouldn't put out there like there's nothing you can do to help. But I, I definitely remember having people visiting after the baby who were like, oh, I'm just here helping out with the baby. And I was like, excuse me, you're doing what now? Like, you know, right. There might be some onesies to fold at some point. <laughs> but I think people were trying to help. Like they were probably like laundering and folding things. But I was so deep underwater that it was like, 
you've basically like thrown a like baby armband floaty into the water and I am like drowning under 50 foot waves. Like I get that you think you're helping, but it's it's not going that great. It's frustrating. So it's a frustrating experience. And then the rage can be sometimes I think like we're not being heard. Like I'm trying to tell you this is not going well. And so then we get rageful because we have righteous anger, but also because like we need to be heard. And so sometimes you do have to turn it up because you're not being heard. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, that makes it sound like rage is a conscious choice, which I think when it's, you know, when you're screaming at your kid, it's not. But when you're screaming at your partner who's not getting it, maybe it is. I just think we're saying you have a lot to be angry at when you've got a bunch of small kids or one small kid in the house. Yes. And um, it tracks that you're angry. There's one other factor that I wanted to touch on about when mom rage can occur, because as actually somebody in our Facebook group that mentioned it, and then in the research, it kept coming out, is having an audience. Like you would think that people who exhibit mom rage ever would be much less likely to do that when somebody else is around, but it actually can be a trigger. That's when I pulled my uh, kid's arm out of the socket. Yeah. And then you're like, I spanked my child once because he had bitten another kid and the mother's standing right there. And in my mortification that she think that I took it seriously enough, you know, like I spanked my kid. Yeah. Performing. So yeah, you're performing. And so Leslie, who's a, a listener in our Facebook group, she was in support of this listener who was talking about her own mom rage. And she said, FaceTiming is actually a trigger for all of us in our house. It can get my kids overly excited and stimulated. And then I find that I'm on edge because of the audience and their behavior. She says, my answer isn't that we avoid FaceTime, but I've learned to keep it short and be aware of how it's making me feel. And then as soon as my kids are getting dysregulated, we make a quick exit. Yeah, it's smart. Man, it's hard during those days to be like, and also I'm going to identify my triggers while I'm not sleeping and miserable and like bleeding from strange places and trying to breastfeed. Like, I'm also going to make a list of my triggers. Like, yeah, breathing is a trigger. Your husband's breathing is a huge trigger. I mean, going back to what the what was his name? Dolph. Dolph. Our buddy Dolph. No, the series of provocations. Right. Like when you are in the situation, literally everything is a series of provocation and you are going to lose it. Right. It's not that you can prevent the provocation. Yeah. I think that we've got it. We know that mom rage is um, a problem. We know why it happens. We've all been there. And so we're going to turn to some solutions when we come back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. 
I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Your guide to mom yelling from the What Fresh Hell podcast. The gritted teeth, I'm not yelling, yell. We will talk about it when we get home and away from all these other people who are looking at us in the grocery store. The yells your mom used to yell and you never thought you'd yell, yell. Because I said so, that's why. The I'm not yelling, just speaking very loud for emphasis, yell. These clothes are clean. Clean clothes do not belong in the laundry. Clothes that have been worn for less than five minutes are clean. Clean! The I'm just going to keep yelling names until I get to yours, yell. Emma, Sophia, Catherine, oh, you, youngest daughter, Sydney. That's right, you're in trouble. The company's here, so I can't yell, but you know this would be a yell if it could be a yell, yell. Gosh, honey, I'm surprised you don't remember that I prefer that you don't put your shoes on the sofa. The I've lost my train of thought yell. I need everyone to get off their iPads. Dinner is in five minutes. Don't come down until you finish your homework. And is lacrosse practice tonight or Thursday? Where's my phone? The repeating yell. Get your shoes, get your shoes. We're late, get your shoes. You need shoes. We're very late. Shoes, come on. We're late. Get your shoes, shoes, shoes. Get your shoes. The I'm not going to curse in front of my children yell. Budgie the whale. Godzilla. Damn breaking. Shazam. Shazam it all. The things I never thought I'd yell yell. Mom's underwear is not a hat. Don't taunt that lizard. You have to wear shoes outside when it's snowing. Yes, every time. Your penis should never be out during church. Amy, a nation turns its lonely eyes to you to solve mom rage for us. (laughs) I have some tips. Some of them are going to be like, yeah, well, that's hard. And that's true. Like some of these are easier said than done, but they're all things that can help. Listen, losing your temper as a mom, we're not here to solve it for you. Like we're going to say solved it, but like we're not expecting you to never lose your temper. It's not realistic. Nina Dubin, who is writing a book about mom rage right now, and I think we should probably have her on when it comes out next year. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. She talks about having a longer fuse, lengthening your fuse. So I think that's maybe what these things are for. We need to lengthen our fuse for the good of everybody in our households, including ourselves. So she says for her that when she manages to make time to exercise Make art and eat healthy food. Those are the three things that work for her. And that make art thing, like it's not for everybody, right? Like not everybody has to enjoy cooking or enjoy painting or enjoy long runs in the park or enjoy writing a novel. But if one of those things feeds you, I am. I am a happier person when I have done something creative than when I haven't. It lengthens my fuse. Mm. I'm having a little trouble with this advice. 
It feels like a job. It feels hard. It's not a job to go for a run if you like to go for a run. It's kind of like what Casey Davis was saying in a couple of weeks ago, like have a kitchen that looks nice at the end of the night. If that feeds you, it makes you feel good. If it fills you with stress, then who says you need to have a neat kitchen? I think you decide what fills you and then you prioritize what fills you. But that requires time, maybe money privilege, right? That's a supportive partner. It requires a lot of things that you may or may not have. I heard advice that was much more fitting to me when I was in this phase, which was, especially with a new baby, like never worry about spending time in bed, like spend time in bed whenever you want to. And like, I developed a thing where, you know, we would, I would get in bed with like the two-year-old would go in front of the movie. I would lay down with a baby who I was breastfeeding. We called it snack and snooze. So the baby would just like breastfeed and then fall asleep. And we would both kind of sleep. Older baby, don't do this with a newborn, obviously, for safe sleep stuff. But I liked the idea of like, it's okay to rest whenever you want to. You know, I would not with having like, being really tired and having postpartum anxiety, I would have strangled anyone who told me to go for a run to exercise and eat healthy. I was just like, this isn't newborn postpartum advice. This is mom advice. And you're right. When you're in the postpartum stage, we've just learned nobody's getting enough sleep and that leads to anger. So yeah, sleep more, mom. That's the, that's the medicine for mom rage when your baby is six weeks old. Yeah. And I had it for three years, you know, like whenever anyone was like, what can I do for you? I'd be like, I need to sleep. And I don't care. Take the baby to the ER before waking me up. Like, do not wake me up if the baby's, you know, crying. Just let me sleep. And I think knowing your ask can be really helpful when people come to you and say, what can I do to help? And it might be like, bring me dinner. That's a casserole that everyone will eat. And like, it might be bring me a rotisserie chicken. Or bring me a salad from sweet greens that nobody else in my family would eat because I don't want to have lasagna. Everybody brought lasagna and I can't eat one more lasagna. Like I think you can show up for yourself, right? Bring me some turmeric tea. Yeah. Knowing what the answer is to how can I help is good because your first answer is going to be like, there's nothing you can do. I'm exhausted. No one else can help with the baby. Have an answer to how can I help? You know, to go for the other side of what Minna Dubin was saying, make art, do this. And you're like, oh, who has time to do that? She did say, and I want to, there's a codicil to what she was saying that I think underlines what you were saying, which is she's saying the things that lengthen my fuse are eating healthy food and making time to be creative. And she's like, I don't say eating right, exercising and showering because those are basic health requirements. Those aren't self-care. Like those shouldn't make the list of make a little time for yourself by showering. We shouldn't have to include that as special self-care time. Right, right. You want to go a step beyond. And I will say that as, again, as things lengthen, I now, I got up this morning. We have a busy day of stuff we're doing for the podcast. But I got up this morning. I dropped my kid to school. I went to the gym for an hour before I started. And I know my day is going to feel a lot better. I could not have done that when my kids were little. I just couldn't have done it. And so also realize, like, you may be in a season where what feels good to you is like laying on the couch and eating Haagen-Dazs vanilla ice cream, speaking from experience, and watching episodes of Real Housewives while you play Candy Crush. Like, it doesn't have to be healthy choices. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm team like anything that soothes you. Go for when you're in the trenches. Dolph Zillman, going back to him. Oh, Dolph, back again. He suggests, I mean, this is maybe obvious, but it's useful. So you have your sequence of provocations, right? The reason I'm going to, you know, give my kid nursemaid's elbow at 8 p.m. is because my boss yelled at me at noon, right? These things are related. He suggests that you at any point, if you can internally observe 
any step along the way of your anger response, you can interrupt it. Agree. I think that is a good point. Ooh, I'm clenching my fists after that guy, you know, tried to run into me in the crosswalk because he didn't like where I was standing. You know, that you can recognize that and that woman interrupting me to say like, he almost hit you and and me being like, yeah, that interrupted my response in a productive, positive way. And it, I didn't scream at my kids six hours later because that guy made me mad because it was interrupted. And I think that this is key and something that I wish I'd understood a little bit more when I was in it. Like we always say, garbage starts when it comes in the door. It's garbage by yeah, when yeah. it crosses your threshold. So later you're like, I can't throw it away. It's like bring less in the door because then you're not going to be overwhelmed with stuff and have stuff to throw away. You raging at your kid starts at 8 a.m. when your husband forgets to take the trash out. Like, And so it is, I think sometimes our story becomes like, I've got to do it all. I'm super mom, like all the moms I know and all the moms on Facebook. And so I'm just going to absorb stuff all day. And you have to change the story to like, I have to stop absorbing things because cumulatively that leads to mom rage, which I want to stop. Yeah. So you got to back these steps way, way, way up. And you've got to say, because I think sometimes it's like, well, I've got to give up my sleep because that's what's good for my kids. If you can tell yourself the story of like, when I don't sleep well, I'm much more likely to rage at my kids physically or verbally, then getting more sleep becomes much more of an important priority. It has to happen. And that's where I think the story needs to change from I'm a good mom from taking everything on to I know I'm a better mom when I'm not at the end of my rope because that's when bad things happen. Yeah. And I will say from a really practical point of view, and this is like a little vulnerable and like, you know, I feel like that thing of I don't want people to judge me for when I say this, but I will. Having had two physical interactions with my kids that I was really not proud of and really unhappy about, I made a very simple rule for myself that I do not make any physical contact with my children when I am angry. I keep a foot of space between us when I am in a rage because even if I go to put my hand on my kid and say, I want you to come away from your brother, it's just a very practical way to not get into physical confrontations with my kids. I think that if you allow yourself to say that, it's the reason why like kids don't use birth control because they don't want to admit that they're going to get in a situation where birth control would be needed. Right, right. We don't want our kids to know about birth control because we don't want them to be sexually active. Right. And I think similarly, making a rule for yourself that stops you from hitting your kids admits you have to first admit to yourself that you are the type of person who could hit your kid. You could ever be that person ever. Right. And like I had to do that. And it was disappointing and frightful and shameful for me to be like, I actually have to make a rule to stop me from hitting my kids because I could hit them. And so for me, I know when I feel that huge. And I will say our original poster, Mm -hmm. I want to highlight our original poster who said I lost it and screamed at my two-year-old and then told my husband to take her into the other room so I could calm down. Like, great job to this listener (laughs) because you get a gold star. You're admitting I mean, we jokingly were saying before, like admitting you have a problem is the first step. But like if you cannot admit to yourself, I am capable of losing control with my kids. I am capable of physically striking one of my kids. And I am capable of yelling at one of my kids in a way that is damaging to both of us. You can't fix this problem. 
And so you have to have a strategy. Whenever I start to feel red brain, you know when it happens to you. At that moment, no matter what is going on, as long as the kids are basically and fundamentally safe, I'm going to walk away. We also set another rule that like no one is allowed to have a tantrum on the first floor of their house. Tantrums send them upstairs <laughs> because as a kid sat there tantruming, I would feel myself getting more and more and more rageful. And the fact of the matter is, like, if they're upstairs screaming, my blood doesn't start to boil in the same way. You know, we just I don't start to be like, shut up or whatever. I'm about to scream. That's completely inappropriate. We just had a question of the week about that, about a kid who was tantruming and she was five. And if she did go to a room, you know, she was screaming for half an hour and throwing things. And then the whole house is like this for the whole night. Talk about a series of provocations. And so it depends on your kid. It depends on their age. Like it has been helpful for me too to say like, go to your room and do whatever you want. But a five-year-old might not be capable of that. Your eight-year-old might not be capable of that. And your four-year-old might be, right? It depends on the kid. But yeah. The kid has to be safe. That's the number one rule. Right. And then you've got to look out for yourself in those situations. That's what I would say. Like, obviously, you're not going to lock a two-year-old in their room to have a tantrum. They could hurt themselves. Things could go wrong. Right. Make another plan. Have a place that's like, this is the soft corner. This is where you go when you're having a tantrum. But like, make a plan for when things start going off the rails. And I will also say, especially with kids who are non-neurotypical, that Kids bite you, kids hit you, kids headbutt you. Once it starts to become physical between you and your child, it's time to find another solution. It's time to either shut it down and walk away from them, whatever has to happen, because I think this is, again, something we don't talk about. Like, when you're trying to control a child who's biting you, like, your self-defense instincts kick in. It is completely reasonable to hit that child. Right. And... So that's why I'm talking about the full house mom. It's not a question of like bad moms hit their kids because they're mean witch ladies. People hit their kids because the situation has gotten out of control. And so if we can back, back, back that up and start to say like, my plan for when my kid bites me is to place him in the soft corner and just blank facedly keep placing him there until that behavior stops. It gives me control. and But if we both lose control, that's when things get real ugly. It starts with admitting that you sometimes lose control, understanding what that looks like, learning from it, right? And then recognizing it sooner. I guess I thought the idea of like, so recognize when you're being triggered sooner so that you can not do it, bad person, but it's actually remarkably effective. Like, oh, here I go. Here's that thing. I'm feeling my heart rate increase right now. I'm feeling this. It just, it gives you something else to attend to for a moment. And in as soon as you're watching yourself have that reaction instead of having that reaction, as soon as you give that like one more level to it, it helps you diffuse yourself. It really does. And one other thing I want to point out about our original poster, who for all she was like hard on herself in this post, has turned out to kind of be our model for how to do this right. She kind of yelled at her two-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she yelled at her two-year-old. And then she said, I apologize to my two-year-old for my reaction, but now I feel awful. Then she says, has anyone experienced something similar? Yes, everyone, as it turns out. But yes. I also think that this is another important part is then revisiting it later and saying, as I often have to my kids, wow, I kind of lost control there. I was really screaming and I feel like I might have even scared you. And I really apologize. I lost control of my temper and I'm really going to try to work to get that under control so that doesn't happen again. It's the yeah. And even if you say it five times, like your kids here, I'm human. 
that was not what I want to do and be, but I did. We have an episode from 2018 called Sometimes We Lose It, and it was with uh, two authors named Heather Turgeon and Julie Wright. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes because that episode was all about repair, that you need to make that step part of it. I'm going to give you a quote from Haley in our Facebook group. She says, we are human. The best we can do is apologize when a situation gets the best of us and then make sure our kids know it's okay to make mistakes and because then you make them right. Yep. Agree. And like, I don't know. I just hope everyone really feels that feeling of seen and like, okay, the worst thing you've done, lots of good moms, you know, have done too and worse. And the fact that you're listening to a parenting podcast and trying to learn something is a sign that you're a great mom. And so forgive yourself for any bad moments and like work, learn from them. That's it, Amy. You have solved it. Learn from them. Did you know that we have a bookshop with every guest who's ever had a book on our podcast? It's like 70 books at this point, plus books that you or I just love, Margaret, and that list gets longer all the time. And you go to bookshop.org slash shop slash what fresh hell cast. But I'll also put a link in the show notes so you can just check out like all the books, including books about mom rage and how to address it. Carla Nomberg. I have to say, I didn't even know about the bookshop. I mean, I kind of knew it was out there. And I went the other day and I was like, oh, these are some of my favorite books. And it was a list called Margaret Loves These Books. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I do love these. That's why I'm enjoying all these books. So it was the tooth fairy made that for you. It was really funny. It was like unseen labor. Someone's doing some invisible work on my behalf. Go check out the bookshop. It's just fun to peruse. And with that, we will talk to you next week. So long. Thanks for listening. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.